With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I am one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me as always for, I think this is episode 62, Derek, go ahead and say hi, buddy. Yeah, hi, it is episode 62. Good to be back, of course, to talk Trek and disco and all those lovely things. Yeah, and I mean, this this past episode, Light and Shadows, Lights and Shadows, Lights, Light and Shadows, that's right. We were just joking about which one is plural. Uh <laughs> But before we dive into the episode, okay, in the past, like, 36 hours, there has been, like, 18 different news bits of Star Trek moving forward. They are, mm-hmm. uh, it was quiet for a couple weeks, it's not quiet now. Certainly not. Um, and so for, for perspective, everybody, we record on Monday nights. So when we talk about the last 36 hours, we mean, you know, basically over the weekend through Monday. Um, and yeah, tons of news uh, with the Picard show. We got a lot starting with Jonathan Frakes, who announced that he is confirmed to direct on the new Picard show. And um, so he's excited about that. We have not confirmed that he will be Riker at any point, but that he will at least be behind the camera. Um, I mean, he's obviously directed Trek before, not just Discovery, but TNG films. Um, So no no stranger. (laughs) And he's kind of Trek royalty. You yes. know they're going to have to find a way. And I actually mentioned that to you a couple weeks ago. I was like, it would be great if they keep him involved because he was involved in the episodes. He wrote Voyager episodes. I think he directed a DS9 episode or two. Mm-hmm. He's he's that he's, – he's like James Doohan. He loves Star Trek and he loves what Star Trek did for him. And he's always going to stay involved. Yeah, this is definitely something that – is just a part of who he is. And, uh, you know, he's, he's mentioned recently that he regretted turning down directing nemesis. Um, and I, I mean, I think most of us would have liked to have seen him do that. There was that big campaign to have him do star Trek 13 before, uh, Justin Lin had signed on and we didn't know who the director was going to be. Um, but you know, he talked a little bit about being typecast as a, not just a sci-fi actor, but specifically a Star Trek actor. And that's kind of led him to become a director, which he claims that he's actually better at and enjoys more. So, um, I mean, I can't really say I always thought he was great <laughs> um, in uh, in all of his Riker um, roles and his voice acting that he did, like Gargoyles and things like that. But 
Um, yeah. And so anyway, he also saw bits from the, uh, the new animated show lower decks and he says it's pretty hilarious. So that means Which is that good. They... Yeah. I love it. If he's saying that, especially with, I don't know if you've seen any of the star Wars, the resistance, new, the new TV show of theirs. Not yet. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's pretty weak. It, the star Wars, the clone wars cartoon, it is not. And oh. it's so, you know, Frakes, you know, I always like it cause he's kind of optimistic, which is good, but lower decks, you know, I love the original Star Trek animated show. It's cheesy, it's corny, but it's fun. And, you know, it's something, you know, my daughter can watch. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really key point. Because, um, you know, people are not, and this is, of course, not everybody, and I certainly don't think it's either of us. Uh, some people are upset that they announced that Nickelodeon is also going to get an animated show in addition to Lower Decks. And that's upset a lot of the adult Star Trek community. But... um the animated series that we all know from the seventies was a kid's show. It was designed to sell toys. It was meant for kids. And uh, why wouldn't you want younger generations to get involved in Trek early? I mean, part of why I'm a Trekkie is because I was watching star Trek from, you know, almost the moment I was born. Uh, Why not make that even more accessible? I'm not sure what the argument against that would be. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with next generation and if we can get more fans, I mean, I'm never going to argue against, doing stuff to have content for more fans you can dislike some content or have legitimate criticism you know like i always say you criticize you can love something and criticize it but i'm not going to criticize them for making the effort if the end product isn't good that's one thing but making the effort is the important thing that a lot of networks don't do anymore Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm a big dc comics fan you know i love justice league and i love uh, a lot of the the cartoons that DC has put out over the years, but that doesn't mean every single incarnation of Batman or the justice league needs to be for a 30 something year old dude. Um, just because there's a new kids version of Batman out that I'm not interested in. That doesn't mean it's a problem. It doesn't hurt me at all. It just means that a new group, a new demographic, a new age bracket is going to be exposed to a character I've loved my whole life. Well, it's, you know, Family Guy and Big Bang Theory, I think, are perfect examples of popular shows where a lot of the original fans didn't last the entire series of the television show because they just kind of got tired of, for whatever reason, the repetition or the style, but it's the show still kept a lot of fans. It's just, you know, South Park's on, like, a season, what, I don't know, 25 or something. It's still a good show, but I, I just... I love what they do for comedy and I love the, how the limits they push. I just don't get to watch it all the time and I'm okay with that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I it's just like discovery. I get why some people don't like discovery. Sometimes I don't like discovery, but if people are watching it, that's good for star Trek. If, if more yeah. people would have seen star Trek beyond, we would definitely have had another star Trek movie. It'd at least be in production. <laughs> and I'm with you there. Right. I mean, the, the whole point of, of TV. It, it is an entertainment. It's an art. It's an entertainment, but it is a business. And if people aren't going to watch it, then you're not going to get more of it. And for Trekkies out here, those of us who have watched discovery, who have paid for CBS all access part, part of that group is to thank for the Picard show and lower decks and Georgiou's section 31 show. And this new Nickelodeon show, like this is allowing star Trek to have a new Renaissance that we haven't seen since the nineties. Well, look at, I mean, let's be honest, as much as I tease Game of Thrones for some quality issues, if Game <laughs> of Thrones wasn't so successful, 
we wouldn't be getting a Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon. No. We we wouldn't. And I know the Hobbit movies were kind of hit or miss, but I still love Middle Earth. I love the story. We're going to have, like, what, a seven-season se- seven Lord of the Rings TV show about the adventures of Aragorn or something? That is... There, there are no fantasy-style shows like that, like Lord of the Rings, on television right now. I mean, the last one on TV, you could argue, was maybe Legend of the Seeker, and that was, like, a decade ago. And I loved it. It only got two seasons, even though there's, like, 18 books or something. So, that I mean, this is... This is what we want, right? We want more we want more nerd content. I don't know why anybody would ever be upset about that. Now, if I could get it if if there was some ridiculous show where they're like, uh, we're we're going to make a show from the point of view of the Cardassians during the during, during the conquest of Bajor, I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch that. But they're not saying that. I mean, they're <laughs> you know, we're going to show the Cardassians killing the Bajorans. I'm like, eh, maybe maybe not that topic. Now, this this is good stuff. It's just yeah, a kid's a kid Star Trek show sounds great. I mean, it may not be for me, and that's fine. But I do want to have kids someday, and hopefully, it'll be for them. And you, you have a daughter. Maybe it'll be for her. You well, know, Lower Decks. I mean, a show based in the Academy. I the hell, I would have loved that if I was in high school or college. I would have eaten that up because mm-hmm. I wish I could have gone to Starfleet Academy. I'd probably be terrible. But so yeah, it's just another example of all this Star Trek news and Star Trek content. I think that's good. So speaking of which, there's more about the Picard show. So we know who is directing the first episode. Uh, I'm not really going to call it a pilot because the show's being made. The whole 10 episode season is being made. It's not this the, the old concept of, of pitching a initial episode to hopefully get a season is not the not the process that this show is used. But um, and I believe I apologize if I'm pronouncing her first name wrong but uh hanel culpepper will be directing the very first episode of the picard series whatever that ends up being called um and this is a big deal because she is the first female director to launch a star trek show so tos all the way through discovery have all been launched by male directors this is the first star trek show to be launched by a female director um for those wondering she has um already um already directed two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, one in season one, and then uh, an upcoming episode here in season two, I believe it's episode 10. So she's already familiar with Star Trek. She has, um, I mean, she has a lot in, uh, in her back, uh, back catalog of things. I mean, she's, um, she's directed for Gotham, which is the big Fox DC Batman show, Criminal Minds, um, How to Get Away with Murder, American Crime, lots of drama type stuff that you mentioned, Greg. Um, but she does have some Star Trek experience, and that's who will be kicking off the first two episodes, the first two hours, so to speak. Well, and she's a very experienced TV director, which is vastly different than a movie. And I think that's a good, that's a very good choice for them to make is find an experienced TV director that's used to those 45, 50 minute time spans to condense stories and get stuff on screen as much as possible. And I think, you know, and. You know, I think I, I was reading a website and they were talking, you know, one of the, the rumored show titles is Star Trek Destiny. And I hope that's not it because I don't want another STD type thing. Um, <laughs> people tried that with Discovery before we convinced them, no, just call it Disco. Uh, I think I saw another rumor out there that was like Star Trek Legacies. I thought that was kind of cool, but it also sounded, I think there was a video game Star Trek Legacy mm-hmm. in the 90s. So I don't know about that. Um, but I mean, we'll see. They got time to come up with a name and 
you know, start, I mean, here's the thing. Star Trek Voyager, that's the name of the ship. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, that's the name of the station. Star Trek Discovery, that's the name of the ship. Uh, so I, if, I don't know, call it Star Trek Valiant or something. I don't know, because uh, Valiant flies around Picard or something. I don't care. Well, see, and that, the name Destiny, Star Trek Destiny, kind of creates a separate set of problems because it's actually a, a, a book run in the star trek books in beta canon so to speak uh, now the one cool thing about that is it actually uh heavily includes esri dax um and i believe uh, i have not read all of these yet um but uh you know she's captain of the aventine and that would be really cool i don't know if she wants to come back or anything like that but um i don't want them to use a prominent name that already has its own story because i think yeah. that causes confusion Right, because let's say it is called Star Trek Destiny, and you really like it, and you're like, "Oh, I wonder if there's any books," and you look them up, you might be sorely disappointed to find out it's a completely different story. So the uh, since you mentioned Esri Dax, the actress that plays that played her Nicole DeBauer, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met her at a convention uh, about a year and a half ago. Ooh. Lovely woman, very communicative, really good with the fans. She's like another Benjamin Button, like I joked about last week. She's like de aging. <laughs> the older she gets, it's like. <laughs> so if she wanted to be on Star Trek again with a, as like a as a captain, I remember, I think I shared some art on Twitter a couple months ago about a future Esri Dax TV show where she's captain. She could easily, I mean, she could step onto the set tomorrow and still pull it off perfectly. She still looks like young Esri Dax from DS Nine. So it'd be, it'd be that'd be fun, you know. I keep joking about a Captain LaForge show, which of course I would watch. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, but you know, I don't know what 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 Lavar Burton thinks about that, but. Again, we got we got plenty of Star Trek content, and think about this: we went years without anybody talking about Star Trek content, and now there's Star Trek all over the place. That's a good thing. It is. Um, we only have little bits of casting information so far for the Picard show. Um, officially, the Variety is reporting this, so this is a, a pretty good source. Um, I know there's been some other things floating around about other casting decisions, but. Uh, since it hasn't come from any of the the major news outlets at this point, I'm I'm a little hesitant to say that those are real. But this is Variety. That's a pretty big one. Um, but uh, Santiago Cabrera and Michelle Hurd have both been cast in the new Picard show. Um, so that is kind of really all we know. We don't know anything about their roles um, or anything like that. But they are both um, they they both have a lot kind of under their belts um, for things that they have done. Over the years, uh, Cabrera, for example, has been on uh, the Musketeers, the Mindy Project, Heroes. Um, so, you know, kind of all, all over the place as far as um, like genres. Uh, Heard has been on uh, Blind Spot as well as Ash vs. Evil Dead and Jessica Jones and Hawaii Five-0. So these, these actors have been around. Um, they, they know what they're doing. So um, it's a good start. <laughs> well, yeah. And I know people in the online community enjoy to, to rag on casting choices and everything. But, I mean, okay, whoever, whoever they cast on any new show is not going to be Marina Sirtis or Jonathan Frakes or Cyril Lofton. They're not going to – they're all going to be new actors and actresses. And I, that's what I don't understand – the immediate hate for some casting decisions. I mean, I guess if they're making a new Picard show and they're like, we're going to cast Greg Bosco, I'd be like, what? Even if they cast me, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. This makes no sense. (laughs) That's different. But they're casting new characters for, or new actors and actresses for new characters. So I'm like, good, take a, take a chance. What's, what's, you know, 
what's the harm in that? Mm-hmm. And look, we're going to learn a lot more very, very soon because uh, reportedly um, the uh, the actual production for the show is supposed to start on April 14th. So we're just about six weeks out from production beginning on this show. So they're going to have to have their cast together. Um, it's estimated that production will run through the beginning of October um, for the 10 episode first season. And it's actually going to be in Santa uh Santa Clarita, uh, Clarita in California, which is uh, where Patrick Stewart has done some of his other shows like Blunt Talk. Um, so, you know, that's different because Discovery and um, supposedly the Section 31 show are actually being done in Canada, uh, where CBS has other a lot of other productions going on. But I'm sure as an executive producer, Patrick Stewart uh, kind of had some sway on that. Kind of like, you know, how he was able to get the little Argo vehicle in Star Trek Nemesis. Right, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it helps to be the captain. It does, it does. And this, you know, this this show may not have been his initial idea. He may not be the creator of it, but he is an executive producer. Um, he is the star, and I know that he was in the writer's room for two weeks, uh, providing his own thoughts and insights into the, into the character and the story. So this is a very hands-on approach for Patrick Stewart, and I think that... Uh, that's only more exciting for me. Well, and, you know, there's a piece of news I want to discuss really quick. Because uh, there was rumors floating on for weeks, you know, that, you know, due to an insider source, I, from CBS, Star Trek Discovery has been canceled. And, like, 30 minutes <laughs> wow. later, they're like, oh, it's been renewed for season three. So, you know, again, I'm just going to go on my little tangent. You cannot like a show. That's fine. But I don't know why people wish for it to be canceled. I think that's a little, you know, I'll criticize it. You've heard me criticize it. I've criticized it on this show. Some people on Twitter have talked to me about my criticism. That's cool. But I think I criticize it in a way that's fair and appropriate. Like I do any show. I don't want it to be canceled. I don't want Star Trek to be canceled. That's that's what I don't understand. I mean, you know, I didn't like Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I don't wish it was erased from existence. And that's, like, when did it? Why, why can't it just be enough to say you don't enjoy it? I mean, you're right. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, the fact that the first season of Discovery did do well, people did watch it, is what got them to greenlight these new shows. Four new shows, two live action and two animated. I mean, that is more in production than any time in Star Trek history. And um, you would think that, yeah, seeing... Season three renewal would be good news for everybody. And I'm very happy about that. I was a little concerned about some offhanded remarks that maybe um, Discovery was going to end. So the Section 31 show could start and at least we get another season. But this does this does bring up a really interesting question. Who will be the captain of Discovery in season three? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Everybody's falling in love with Anson Mount as, his cap- as Captain Pike. Mm-hmm. So I... I... I, that's a it's a good question. I mean, he can't be away I, from the Enterprise forever. <laughs> no, he can't be away from the Enterprise forever. Maybe they'll finally let Saru become captain. It's possible. Very give possible. Us our, give us our first legit main screen non-human captain, please. Spock doesn't count. Spock. Okay, <laughs> I know there's somebody out there going, "Oh wait, Greg, Spock was captain of the Enterprise." No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a legit. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Non-prime federation species captain of a ship. Well, even the just first, the lead of yeah. a show. I mean, sure, Spock was captain in a couple movies, you know, and let's face it, he never really got to play captain because Kirk was always there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Kirk was always there. It was the wharf problem that the TNG films had. You know, you still needed both of those guys. So, um, no, you're right. I think it, it would be cool to see an alien captain. Um, you know, certainly just having more diversity in that role would be great to date. We still have only had one woman be captain and only one um, one person of color be captain of the lead ship. So I would certainly like to see some some diversity there. If you're not going to do an alien, then let's let's work on that diversity rather than having, you know, another white dude. So. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> and, Although I, wouldn't, I, would, I think seeing Stamets as captain would just be entertaining for me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just because he's kind of management by chaos. <laughs> I think that would just be that would just be fun to see on screen, but that's just because I like statements and I like the actor so much. Well, I mean, I kind of assumed that at some point, Sonequa Martin Green's uh, Michael Burnham would have become captain, but now she'd have to leapfrog Saru, and there'd have to be a pretty good reason for that to happen. Yes, and you know, you and I have been joking for a couple of years now, where Starfleet's that pseudo scientific military organization, you know, leapfrogging ranks on a ship, they would have to get rid of Saru. They would have to literally move him to another ship or otherwise the dynamic on that cast and crew would just be it would be off it's you know you remember in best of both worlds when they're talking about promoting you know when he's talking when Riker's talking about promoting a first officer and he's talking to war he's like I legitimately considered you as first officer I'm like really though I'm like did you over I Shelby think, or Data <laughs> I think he did because you know, I don't. Early on, at least, he doesn't really like Shelby because she's kind of inserting herself into his quote family, right on the Enterprise. And then Data, there's always you know those issues about should an android command a starship, and there's even episodes of, that focus on that topic. And so at that particular point, you know, that early on, maybe Worf would have been his first choice because, um, you know, he, now he is a Klingon, he's a warrior, he's a you know a tactician in many ways, and. Riker could trust him. No, that, that's a good point. It's just I'm always going to like support the rank thing, and that there's actually we can start talking about the episode now because there's a rank thing I want to bring up <laughs> on Star Trek Discovery <laughs> with the cast and crew. So we're okay. We're done with the news, I think. Um, All right, so let's let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the episode. Hey there, I'm Batman, and I wanted to tell you about my friends at the Screen Heroes Podcast. 
They deliver sweet justice in the form of discussing movies, television, and me. They love my movies. Every single one of them. Yes, even that one. Sometimes they even have me on as a guest, which is thrilling. You can find them at twitch.tv slash heroespodcasts. Live on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Gotham time. If you can't tune in live, the new shows go up on places like Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Gotham Radio, Demoscura Live. Now, back to your regularly scheduled Batcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we were just finishing up talking about some of the ongoing Star Trek news. There's news all over the place. Uh, about the only news we don't have right now is there's no new Star Trek games yet. So that's always a little bit of a shame. Although my favorite mod for Stellaris just got updated, Star Trek New Horizons. So any of our Stellaris fans out there, go download it. It's, an, it's the best Star Trek game I've ever played. And it's not even a real one. <laughs> but let's talk about Light and Shadows. Another episode where they don't waste any time, do they? They don't. No, this, this is a very fast-paced episode. A lot of content um, is pushed together into this one, that is for sure. Well, and I love it because, you know, I always compare, unfortunately, everything to Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones these past few years has, like, so much filler. Of You have, like, two people talking for seven, ten minutes, and that's it. And then you, you add it all up, and they're like, man, we lost 300 minutes this season to people just talking and not doing anything. It's like, Discovery's really not doing that. When they're ta- even when they're talking something is happening or they're talking about the specific plot or they're talking about trying to find Spock or how to engage section 31 or what to do about the red angel. There there's always at least something happening, which I think is important. Absolutely. Um, now this episode of course brings us back to Vulcan, which is uh, probably the alien planet we visited the most in Star Trek history. I would, I would think. Um, and Burnham of course is trying to find her brother and he thinks that, uh, Amanda will be able to help her find him. Um, was there any doubt in your mind that Spock wasn't going to be nearby? <laughs> no, I mean, it was just, I knew it was, and you know, cause it kind of makes sense. You know, the last place they would look is his own home planet mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it's the joke that people are more people are in car accidents within two miles from home because everybody's like, Oh, it's just a coincidence. It's like, no, it's cause most people spend their life near home. And, it, you know, the Starfleet's looking all over the galaxy because of his shuttle, the perfect decoy, and he's just hiding out on Vulcan. And I get it. Hide out the place where he goes. Like, uh, they kind of said that line. He's almost trying to reset his brain to what he knows. So he mm-hmm. goes back to Vulcan where he was born and raised and learned logic. Yeah, I think him being on Vulcan actually is completely logical to for the very reasons you said. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Um, it was interesting though. I, I actually was wrong about where on Vulcan he was going to be. I really thought he was going to be in one, uh, in like the temple, um, that we see in Star Trek 2009, right. Where all like the holiest of scriptures are. Cause I knew, I had remembered that like, you can't beam him in, in and out of there. So Spock would be safe in there. We've heard of it before, right? Like this would be something kind of a, a little connection. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that they had some a new thing he's in a tomb right and i thought that was kind of cool to find him somewhere else i was hoping he'd be talking to that computer from star trek 4 again but you know that's (laughs) just that's just me it's asking him the the exact same questions from the movie i'm like yes perfect how do you feel (laughs) he's like oh that that's what resets his brain he's like oh man i'm pissed and the computer's like what 
Oh, oh man, it's fantastic. Um, and now, I love I really... Amanda because I love Mia Kirshner. Oh. I think she's a great actress. Um, I I love how she looks. I love how she acts. I love how she's even like kind of calling Sarek out a bit, where she's letting her humanity take over. Where she's even you know she's even kind of challenging him. She's like you know I, and but Sarek also had some growth and development and actually had a good line. I don't want to, we're, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but Sarek had probably one of my favorite lines I've ever heard from him. And we've had a lot of Sarek over the years. It's when he's talking to Amanda, they're going back and forth, not really arguing. It's like arguing Vulcan style. Sparring a bit. Yeah. They're sparring. They're challenging each other's points because at this point in the episode, they're talking about how best to take care of Spock. And do you take him to the doctor? What do you do? And Amanda's challenging him, and Sarah comes around, and he's basically he basically says, well, he does say, he's like, I'm not going to lose both of my children on the same day. And that's, because like you've been pointing out for years, Vulcans have emotions. They just suppress them. Mm-hmm. And he's letting, his, he's letting logic dictate his emotions in the sense of, it's not logical to risk both your children, and he also doesn't want to lose both of his children. Because he knows what will happen if... You know, if Burnham goes off with with with, with Picard, with, with uh, that's Plot a different twist. show. Plot twist: <laughs> Picard is the Red Angel. Um, <laughs> it's 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 him realizing if she takes Spock and they fall into the wrong hands, that he could lose both his kids. That she could end up going to jail, and Spock could. I don't know what the punishment in Starfleet is if you if you actually kill three doctors or something. That's probably not good. Um, I would imagine not. Um... But that's that sparring back and forth, I think, is really powerful because I, th- I think it's we have seen so much character development for the Amanda Grayson character, um, something we haven't really had much of an opportunity for. She's been very two dimensional in the past. And now we get to see who she really is, what she fights for, how she does that. What what does it mean to be Amanda Grayson and learning about. You know, reading through the looking glass to Spock as a child, learning about how she interacted with her two children very differently and how she views the world is just it's a really interesting concept. And it's an amazing opportunity. People want to focus on Spock, right? Oh, we get to see Spock. This is going to be Spock. But really, this is an amazing opportunity to develop the Amanda character in a way we've never had the chance before. No, absolutely. And. I even like that they kind of tied into 2009 Trek a little bit when they're talking to Spock at, you know, the Balkan Science Academy. And it's like, it's, it's so great you've done so well despite your, you know, limitation or whatever. And your he's disadvantage. Like, your disadvantage. You know, what disadvantage? <laughs> your human mother. And, <laughs> and you could, yeah. And even in this episode, they're talking how Amanda was like, you know, everybody thought, you know, Spock had a dis- learning disability or something. He didn't. He's just half human. And I like that. And she's like, it, being half human is not a disability. <laughs> it's just different than what Vulcans... And I, that's... You know I'm a big person on people acting like people. You know I love that. That's a mother acting like a mother. Like, I'm tired of people insulting my kid. He's half mine. He's smart. He's brilliant. Look at everything he's done. And, you know... Yeah, I read to him as a kid to help him come along. Help him see things through. And that doesn't mean he has a disability. It just means, you know, he's my son. Now, to be fair, she basically, she does basically say that he inherited one from her. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Um, 
And I guess we don't get to know too much about it. We know that it, it kind of has to do with disorder, right? And um, having your brain organize things in not the correct way uh, or the intended way. And that, of course, becomes the crux of the episode, which we'll talk about later. Um, but I liked that she found a way to speak to Spock about this through another narrative, right? It's very meta in a way because Star Trek is an allegory. Star Trek has always been at its best an allegory, right? And whether it was for racism or sexism or philosophy or religion, spirituality in general, ethics and moral plays, like that is the heart of Star Trek. And she uses an allegory with Through the Looking Glass to help explain to Spock why he sees the world differently from everybody else. And I thought that was kind of cool. I'm not sure how intentional that was. I might be thinking into it a little bit more. It might have been as simple as them doing a callback to the animated series because Spock, you know, um, calls out the book back on the cartoon, but I don't know. See, I took it as her implying that the humanity, that the humanity side of him wasn't viewed as a disability because human thoughts are disorganized. They are kind of chaotic. You know, humans, you know, real people can have a wide range of emotions in a five-minute span where our thoughts are, you know, all discombobulated throughout the day. Like, there's very few people that can keep themselves centered for a full 12, 14-hour workday or whatever. And I kind of took it like that where she was just saying, you know, it's okay for him to think like a human. And she read him a human book. And obviously it did something right for him, treating him like a son and... Yeah, he's got some problems right now with the whole Red Angel thing. We've got I me mean, because we still don't know what the hell the rain, Red Angel is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I love how the theory out there now is it's Michael Burnham. It better not be a time travel gimmick. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later down the road. Uh, but so yeah, I love the interaction on Vulcan. I love. I I preach this every recording. I love it when characters act like real people. They have challenges. They have desires. They have emotions. They have uh, arrogance even. Mm-hmm. Amanda had a little bit of arrogance because she wants to protect her son. That's not a bad arrogance. That's a mother saying, I'm not going to let, I'm not giving Spock up. It's, he's my son. Right. And so they, they do decide to, to let Burnham take him for help um, to section 31. Sarek decides that it is logical that section 31 would want to help him. Um, to clear his innocence and to find out what he knows about the signals. So that brings us back to our Section 31 ship, probably the the best look we've really had at it um, at this particular point. And we get to see Georgiou again, which uh, is always just, you know, that's a joy. She's Michelle is just so great, and I'm I'm definitely excited for her show. Can we Um, just uh, encourage everybody to finally admit that the fans liked her so much early on in Discovery that they find they had to make her a character in Section Thirty One. They had, I mean, yeah. They, I don't know if that was entirely planned. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm wrong. But her, everybody's response to her on the show was so amazing that now they're. I'm glad they're getting her in as many as much many episodes as possible now. Well, I mean, I think some, something similar could be said for the Ash Tyler character. Both Ash Tyler and Giorgio, Mirror Giorgio, Emperor Giorgio, are left at the end of the season really on cliffhangers. We kind of know where they are, but we don't know that we need to ever see them again. And there's that deleted scene about Giorgio meeting the Section 31 officer, but that was a deleted scene. It's not like, quote, real, right, at the time. Um, and for Ash, we didn't really know what was going to happen to him either. So 
I think the original season was written so these characters would not return, but when they became fan favorites for obvious reasons, it was also very easy to bring them back. I love how online they're now calling Tyler Tyvoke. 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 Okay. That's, that's okay. clever. I can go. I can go with that. <laughs> with so, his perfect beard. That is that beard is mighty. It is. It is a very mighty beard. Um, so yeah, okay, let's talk about that then, I guess, because before we get to the, the, uh, the ship, the section 31 ship, Pike and Tyler take a shuttle into this temporal anomaly that's screwing with the ship. Um, I gotta be honest, the way they showed the ship being impacted by the anomaly, I thought was pretty freaking cool. No, that was, I, I liked it because they did it in a way that showed threat to the ship, but that would also freak people out. Mm-hmm. Like if you saw like a mirror shadow image of yourself from a few minutes up in the past or a few minutes in the future, that's going to mess with people's brains. One of the, there was a scene on the, uh, the episode that drove me crazy. And remember when uh, Pike and Tyler got sucked into the actual temporal vortex itself until mm-hmm. he goes down to engineering and she's talking to Stamets and Stamets had no idea. It's like nobody outside the bridge had any idea that there was like a temporal vortex and that the captain had gotten sucked into it. And I get I get that Stamets isn't the chief engineer. And I understand. And I know people have been talking about how, oh, it's great we don't deal with the chief engineers. And we're not dealing with the chief medical officer and all this jazz. But with a scientific organization and a military-style organization, the reason why you have a chain of command is you don't want people to jump it. Like, you don't want a captain to go around the chief engineer and go right to Stamets. The captain goes to the chief engineer to give instructions, and then the chief engineer finds a way to implement that. Mm-hmm. And so when Tilly shows up and she's talking to Stamets, and Stamets is like, what do you mean? I don't even know what's going on. And I'm like, how does the whole ship not know about this? This is <laughs> this is one of those things where, didn't they, I swear, they went to, like, yellow alert. And, it, it, again, I'm griping, over some, I'm griping over something minor. But Stamets would not be fooled by this. Stamets is way too smart, and he would have been well aware of what was going on. I'm with you. I'm definitely with you. I, I don't know that I hated it, because I think I just kind of let it go really quick, but uh, it made no sense to me. The fact, like, not only, like, okay, it's one thing if maybe he doesn't know exactly what's going on. Like, he doesn't know that the shuttle consists of Pike and Tyler or whatever, but it made no sense that he just, like, had no clue that anything was really going on. <laughs> Well, because especially at this point in Discovery, I think everybody can kind of admit Stamets is one of the more intelligent and experienced officers on the ship, especially when it comes to science-related things. It's always like him and Burnham. They're kind of a friendly competition on who's smarter, and now Tilly as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it, it it's the equivalent of Next Generation, like, leaving data out of something. And, you know, like, Picard, Captain Picard would not do that. <laughs> Captain Picard would keep Data involved all the time, unless they thought Data had been replaced by Lore and they don't trust him. But again, mm-hmm. tangent. But otherwise, I, I liked the back and forth between Tyler and Pike. I thought it seemed like a friendly rivalry. And again, I think, and I know there's people out there complaining, oh, toxic masculinity or whatever. I'm like, fine. That, I didn't get that vibe at all. I got, like, legitimate competition where Tyler was worried about some of Pike's decision-making, and Pike legitimately also doesn't trust Tyler for multiple reasons, because of Section Mm -hmm. 31 and, you know, his Klingon heritage. (laughs) So I get it when people are imperfect. I don't mind when people have legitimate squabbles with one another. I think that's good storytelling. 
I, I'm with you completely. I, I think it's absolutely okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If two male characters hate each other and fight with each other, that's okay. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's toxic ma- masculinity. It can be. But in this case, I, I don't think that it is. I think you're right. You know, um, Pike doesn't trust Tyler. He doesn't trust Tyler for two huge reasons, you know, and I think both of them are completely justified. And I mean, Tyler is also not just the section 31 guy, but he's like literally throwing his badge around, which is silly in its own right. That section 31 has a badge, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) But like, he's literally tossing his badge at, at Pike. Like he's throwing his weight around on the bridge in front of the rest of the crew Pike is trying to dress down Tyler on the bridge in front of the crew. Um, They are definitely battling for power. They're battling for control. And it's because they both think they're in the right. They both think the other one is in the wrong. And I'm not super thrilled with the way that ended towards, you know, at at the tail end of this episode where Pike basically says, Hey, Tyler, you were right. This is about the war. Um, I'm not saying that it couldn't have been that way. I'm not saying that that type of personality trait isn't a real thing. Um, You know, uh, survivor's remorse is what they call it. That's a real thing. But it felt, I don't know, it felt like it kind of belittled the rest of their confrontation then. If really at the end of the day, he just was feeling guilty about the Enterprise being out of the war. Whereas the two reasons he was claiming to distrust Tyler are completely justified. Well, and especially if you consider the fact that the war justification might make sense if it wasn't for the fact that since he's been on board the Discovery, Pike has basically been in danger every single episode. So it's not like he's never faced danger before. I get the survivor's guilt you bring up as a huge point. I would almost argue that would be better for a discussion between like him and Burnham or him and Stamets. Or statements, everything he went through with the mycelial network and losing his, you know, losing his husband. I mean, I think, you know, he could have, Stamets could have lashed out of Pike. You know, I lost, I lost, you know, my husband. What did you lose in the war? That I get. But, yeah, I mean, he has legitimate, he even brings it up. He's like, you know, you kind of killed the doctor there, Tyler. Well, uh, you know, it wasn't me. It's like, well, it was was you, it was your body that killed him. Mm -hmm. So it's. I mean, it, again, it's how many times did Worf and Picard argue? All the time. All the time. You know, the the Simon Tarsi's episode is a perfect example when they're putting that quarter Romulan on trial in Next Generation. Right. And, and Worf's, you know, telling Picard, you know, the Federation has enemies. They must be found. And even Picard's like, easy there, Worf. You know, that's how it begins. <laughs> and again, you can have a dispute with somebody without it being anything more than just a dispute. I mean, Stamets early on was fighting with everybody in early season one, and nobody was like, that Stamets guy's a jerk. It's like, no, this is that's his ship. It's his engineering section. He doesn't want people messing it around. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Um, some of the shuttle stuff did kind of, some of it worked really well, some of it didn't. I like temporal issues, temporal episodes, anything with time travel. I'm kind of a sucker for that. Uh, so that was kind of cool. 
at the same time, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they'll explain it later, but I'm not sure that the Matrix squidified. Yes, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> made any sense to me? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, and it's not. Maybe it's not fair to always go back to the Matrix for the squids, but anything that's like a metal robot with those tubey arms with the you know the little like Doc Ock clamps up front. Yeah, that just reminds me of the squids in in the Matrix. It just does. Um, and it was trying to cut into the shuttle to get at them. I'm like, that's eh, mm-hmm. pretty much exactly what the the hunter killer drones and <laughs> the Matrix did. It's almost the exact same thing. Right. Like I th- feel like I've seen this before. Um, so that was you know that wasn't great. But what I did like is that early on in their mission, Pike sees the future kind of reflection, right? The echo from the future, and he sees himself shoot Tyler. So from that point on, he's waiting for that shoe to drop. He's waiting for that event to take place. What is Tyler going to do to make him want to shoot him? And then you find out that that's not what it is. He's trying to save Tyler from the probe. And I liked that because I think it could be really explored that seeing an event from a particular perspective, from a particular point of view, is only part of the picture. And Pike made all of these assumptions that led to a more intense argument that led to more distrust because he was missing a viewpoint. And when he had the full picture, when he had that other perspective, it all came together for him and he realized that they could work together. Well, and that's a common human problem where people rush to judgment with only like having half the information available. Mm-hmm. And then when you have the full picture, it's even remember when Tyler was judging him for releasing the plasma. And then that was the exact same. That was the exact thing that Stamets and uh, Tilly were able to use to at least find an area for the shuttle. And Stamets was able to, you know, super transport over to the shuttle. So again, you know, I, I, I'm okay with. I always tease it, but I'm okay with a little bit of the day US Machina because yeah. there are some solutions where you need that. And Look, I think this was. If you reverse the pl- the polarity enough times, <laughs> then you're fine. if you hide in the moon's magnetic field, yeah, I mean, if if we if we can buy that, I could buy statements beaming into a temporal distortion, and you know, it's going to turn out this is this is the same temporal distortion from all good things. The last episode of Star Trek TNG. <laughs> that would be interesting, though. Um, I forget what part of space that was that was in. So I, I don't know. I guess it was in, to... no, it was not. I, that was in the neutral zone. I remember that because they made a big right. deal about that. This is not the neutral zone. Right. That's so fair. It's, yeah. And again, you know, like you said, temporal temporal stories, if done well, can be cool. It's just, I, you know, maybe, you know, because they, they even kind of alluded to the fact that the probe, uh, maybe it comes from the same time as the Red Angel. Maybe the Red Angel's kind of hostile. Or it could be something else. It could be the Red Angel's trying to protect them from whoever created the damn probe. Yeah, I, it doesn't make sense to me that it would be the Red Angel, because at this point, the Red Angel has only done things to help, seemingly, right? You know, they, they helped find, uh, um, you know, the crashed ship, helped the uh, the village population, helped the Kelpians, you know? So I, I find it hard to believe at this point it was all, all set up to have an advanced probe kill Captain Pike, you, you know? Yeah, um, it, no, I am, in t- it's... It's the it's the Star Trek first contact joke. You're like, you know, why did the Borg go back in time to 2063? You know, instead of like, you know, a 1066 when the Normans invade England. It's like, <laughs> well, well, you know, in that case, I think they're I think they're going to win, guys. 
<laughs> well, right. I mean, it's... hell, the Borg, all they had to do was go back in time to when we just had single shot muskets or earlier, and they would have had literally no problem. And, and don't fight your way to Earth to go back in time. Just do it like in the middle of the Delta Quadrant. Like, oh, look, here we are. Um, yeah. So again, I mean, we could poke a yeah. hole in any story, but yeah, the Red I'm with you, man. The Red Angel being like evil, unless they're trying to say, I, I, I don't know, unless they're trying to kill Pike or Tyler for some reason. But again, that that would make no sense. So mm-hmm. unless they're about to drastically change things, and it turns out this is actually a reboot of Star Trek, and they kill Pike next week, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, man. So, okay. So then, of course, we've got all the Section 31 ship stuff, right? Where Georgiou basically wants to help Burnham break Spock out of the ship. Now, this plot is very interesting to me because, you know, she's trying to convince Burnham that she cares about her. And I think to a small extent, maybe she does. But I do think this is really about what 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 Georgiou says, which is making Leland look bad. Because she wants to be in control. She she wants that ship. She wants Section 31. She's an emperor. She does not want to sit as somebody's number two or three officer. Right? So I like this plot point because I feel like we're going to start seeing her evolve and her become more powerful. You know, she's already shown in this episode that she has something over Leland. She knows he's responsible for Burnham's parents' death. She She knows all of these things. Right? She gets dirt on people. That's a very kind of dictator political move, right? Is blackmailing people to be on your side or to do things that you want them to do. And I think this is just the beginnings of her taking control. And again, I don't view her as, even if she is from the other, the mirror universe. So she's got arrogance and a bit of an evil streak to her. She doesn't want to hurt the Federation because at the end of the day, she's still a human prime candidate. She is, she wants humanity to be for whatever regardless of other interactions with species, she wants humanity to be strong and successful. Mm-hmm. So whatever her long-term goal is, it's she wants humanity and at least kind of part of the Federation to be successful. We haven't seen Section 31 interact with any any aliens yet or any of the, any of the alien species of the Federation yet. So it remains to be seen, although we did get to see three of those Section 31 ships. We did. We did get to see those. Um, I'm still not a huge fan of of their design just kind of like with the discovery itself i, I kind of like the other the the more classic designs that they showed at um the battle of the binary stars but um, well it brings up another uss vengeance issue from into darkness so we pretending that there's a little shipyard somewhere building nothing but section 31 ships and like everybody nobody has any idea that that's happening well i mean no because so there's two two things there one people know about section 31 in this timeline, right? Pike already knew about section 31. They wear True. their badges yeah. proudly, right? So it's not, they toss, they toss their badges around, <laughs> right? Exactly. Here, kid, uh, <laughs> you know, like mean Gr- Joe green, but, uh, you know, this, this is a different section 31 than we see in, uh, DS nine. It's different than the one we see in enterprise. And it's the diff it's different than the one we see in the Kelvin into darkness. This one's much more public, but second, these ships are really tiny, like maybe four decks. Um, I was looking at some pictures of it and they look like they're maybe just four decks, maybe five, you know, and they're, they're tiny ships with, you know, the folding nacelles and everything and, and all of that. These are, these, these ships have got to be smaller than, than the defiant, you know, maybe they only have a crew of 30 or 40 people, which would make sense for section 31. 
And when you think about the vengeance, first it's important to know that that Enterprise in the Kelvin universe is larger than the Enterprise E. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's like <laughs> right? 1,200 so the, meters long or something. And then so the the vengeance is like four times, five times the size of the Enterprise. That makes the vengeance the biggest Federation ship we've ever seen. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean. We would have had would have been nice to have like ten of those when the Borg invaded, but like we're we're bordering on like the size of DS nine <laughs> <laughs> as a, just a roving battleship with roving dreadnought. Right. So like hiding that installation while you're a secret organization um, seems less likely than building these tiny little covert ships that people already know about. Well, and the tiny ships actually fit with. You know, I'm not a, obviously I'm not a spy, but it fits with the modern myth you? of what's yeah, <laughs> or am I? It fits with the modern mythos of spy agencies, you know, hiding in plain sight essentially, or using readily available technology, you know, a yacht or a boat to follow an enemy around. It it does fit that mythos. I just I'm just that guy. I'm like, ah, they have a special design for Section Thirty One. And those ships, well, I mean, the ships are okay. I do have to ask. Aside from looking cool, what? What's the purpose of the folding warp engines? I had the same question for Voyager. So, okay, so there's... I I think it's two different answers. So for Voyager, it was actually supposed to help create a stronger warp bubble, was the idea. So it had, like, a longer cruise time at high warp. Um, But they never really talk about it on the show. That's more, like, technical manual stuff, which may or may not be canon. For these ships, and this is just my speculation, I think having them fold in makes them a smaller form factor that can allow them to get into tighter spaces and maybe outmaneuver other ships in sub-warp situations. Okay. Uh, I can buy that. That would be just, like, guessing around because they, like, straight up fold in to kind of compact the ship. You don't think somebody was just, like, a fan of the F-14 Tomcat and wanted a a (laughs) swept-wing starship? Well, so part of me, I, don't get me wrong, that's kind of a cool idea, actually. Um, but I was kind of thinking, like, Section 31's ships are kind of like the, the stealth bomber. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, the stealth is, the bomber is one of our most advanced pieces of, of air technology. Not the most anymore, of course, right? But when it was built, it was incredibly advanced. And these ships are kind of like that, right? We knew about the stealth bomber. Our, our allies and enemies knew about the stealth bomber, but not enough to really be able to do much about it. You know, could be the same thing here. People know that these ships exist, but they can cloak and they've got the retractable warp nacelles and who knows what kind of crazy technology on board that our enemies don't know how to combat. Yeah. And again, I know people have been complaining about the cloak, but this is still before the Treaty of Algeron. So, and before the Kittimer Accords. So the Federation, there's no treaty with the Romulans right now. They can, Mm -hmm. they want to have a cloak. They could have a cloak. I mean, there's. And, and hell, I mean, I don't know. But that that's a separate topic. But, okay, I mean, the, yeah, the ships are pretty cool. And I did like the fight scene with Giorgio and uh, Burnham. You know, because Giorgio, like you said, she wants power. And she also wants, I do think, and she kind of alluded to it, I think there's a part of her that legitimately wants to help Burnham. And, obvi- I mean, obviously she does. She helped Burnham. But, you know, it was cool because, you know, she's like, yeah, Leland lied to you. That's That thing's going to just, like, mess up his brain. It's going to mess up his memory. It's a memory extractor, not a memory purifier or whatever. It's going to, you know, it's going to destroy his brain. And, you know, she had no reason to tell her that outside of, like you said, she wants power. 
And if she can help somebody at the same time of achieving her goals, that's that's what a Terran Empress Emperor from the Mirror Universe would do. Help herself at the same time. If she happens to help somebody else, okay, so be it. But it's also helping her achieve her long-term goals. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, but it's a good fight scene. I mean, look, any time you can get Michelle Yeoh to to do any martial arts, it, do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I take know? take advantage of it. I everybody will watch that all the time because she's just spectacular. I mean, that's what she's been doing for. Most of her career and I assume life, you know, it's something that she specializes in. So there's not a lot of opportunities to do that on Star Trek, right? You know, she's a captain, she's an emperor, now she's a covert agent. Now she can do that because she's doing, you know, these these hand-to-hand combat scenarios. Um, I'm hoping that on the Section 31 show we get to see that a little bit more with her maybe confronting groups of aliens and things like that to really show off what she can do. Yeah, so, but... Let's talk about the part everybody's talking about. Which part is that? Yeah, which part is that? You know, when Burnham <laughs> figures out the numbers. And she's like, oh, the numbers are correct. They're just in the reverse order. And she asks the computer to do its little widget thing. And it's the coordinates for a planet. Dun, and dun, dun. I am going to truth bomb people here in a minute. It's the planet Talos IV. Whoa. Everybody remembers the Talosians from the original series. And I know there was a collective sigh. I get it. I could hear it from just the internet waves. There's a Talos. That can't go to Talos. That hasn't happened yet. No. In the episode where Pike goes to Talos, that happens before the current timeline they're in in Discovery. I think it was like seven years earlier than the the year they're in right now. Because uh, everybody... Um, not I think quite so. that long. It's more okay. like five, five years. Okay. Yeah, but so but my argument still stays the same is Talos already exists. People know it exists. And you remember the whole point later on when Spock is trying to help Pike get back to Talos is because or Spock is trying to help Pike and all that. It's because Spock knows of their mental powers. And so if he has a mental issue, you know, I would argue, why don't you go to Beta Z or something? But that's besides the point, or whatever. You're Vulcan, you're already telepathic anyways, can't Sarek help you? It doesn't matter. They're going to Talos 4 because, at least continuity's sake with the timeline, they're already aware of the Talosians' mental powers. Mm-hmm. They already know it, and, you know, I don't know if General Order 7 is in place on Talos yet. I don't think... I, so, we, it, it is. Okay. It is, but it doesn't matter because Burnham is not acting as a Starfleet captain. She's not following orders. She's going rogue. And you know what other planet was forbidden? Genesis. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see what you did there. So let's just slow down and pump the brakes for a second for all the, cause I've seen a lot of people bitch about general order seven and look, okay. I know, I know what it means, but I just want to read it real quick off of memory alpha for those who may not know what general order seven is quote, no vessel under any condition emergency or otherwise is to visit Talos four. Okay. That's cool. Um, that's like the prime directive you don't have to follow it, okay? And Burnham clearly is choosing not to follow it in the same way that Kirk 
and the gang stole a freaking starship and sabotaged a prototype to go to another forbidden planet. For and the same guy, by the way. <laughs> and have we forgotten that he also blew up the Enterprise? Blew so, up a starship. So, I mean, there's a bit of a precedence for people going rogue here. And the Telosians are, you know, one of those famous Star Trek species. So I, I'm actually... Why does everybody want the Romulans to be involved? But if you bring up any other goddamn species, people are like, no, we can't have that species. It has to be Klingons or Romulans. I'm like, have you guys ever watched the Star Trek show? There are thousands of species out there that we don't even interact with. And they pick one that we know in canon has extremely strong mental capabilities. You're not going to take him to the brain and say fix his brain. (laughs) You're not going to take him, you know, to the Ferengi to fix his brain. I mean, it's... So, people can argue about whatever they want, but it's actually probably one of the most logical decisions the show's made on, you know, using established canon to fix a character or help a character out. Well, a lot of people have complained that there isn't enough connections to old canon in Discovery, uh, for good or for bad. And this is a great example because the the Thelogians are a, a race, a species that you can't show in the TNG era or later because they died out. That was the whole point of the cage was that they were dying out. And so they weren't going to survive another century and a half to get us to the Picard era. Um, so if you're ever going to see them again, this is the show to do it on. This is something unique to this century that they can do that still has ties to the original series. Um, so it's weird that there's so much backlash about it. I got to be honest, as soon as, you know, Talos four is said, I was super excited. <laughs> well, I mean, it it makes sense for the story when the part of the goal is to essentially fix, you know, Spock's brain. And they're going to people that they know are very mentally effective. And also it builds into, you know, years later, why does Spock want to take Pike to the Telosians? It's because Spock in the back of his brain might say, I remember when they helped me out. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, they're kind of jacked up with what they're doing with the menagerie, but there's a, still a sense of decency inside them to the point where they let they took care of Pike for whatever reason. I mean, they didn't have to. No. They even admitted that when they rebuilt Vina, they're like, man, you guys did a terrible job. And they're like, we don't know what a human looks like. We, just, <laughs> we did the best we could with whatever we could. And so, I mean, it's, you know, let's, I mean, okay, let me, let me say something here. The Telosians did some evil stuff. Uh, the Federation poisoned the founders to force a peace treaty. So, you can have a rogue person in your own agency and still be a decent species. <laughs> Maybe it was just those two Telosians or assholes. I don't know. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, in the cage, you only see, like, three of them. Are we supposed to judge the entire species on three? Remember three how much people? everybody hated Dukat for betraying the Federation, joining the Dominion, and then his daughter's killed, Zial. And you find him in the office, and even Cisco's like, maybe Dr. Bashir can do something for him. Everybody feels sorry for him. They're like, yeah, he's a villain, but they legitimately felt bad for him because his daughter was murdered. And they're like, he's a broken man. It's, you can have depth. You can be, you know, not ever, it's, it's Godwin's law. It's like, 
with modern tele with modern television and stories, it's like anything you don't like, they're like, this is Hitler. It's like all the Tolosians are Hitler. I'm like, really? I'm like, we've had the Klingons fight wars, the Romulans fight wars with us. I don't hear anybody hating on the Romulans or the Klingons. No. Ever. And we, there is no alien species more classic than the Telosians. So. No, it was the first one we saw on screen. and Other than Spock. It, yeah. other, than, other than Spock. I mean, for, 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 you know, for freak's sake, I, I stopped myself from saying the, the, the real F word. I mean, Duras <laughs> kills Kalar on DS9, on DS9, on the Enterprise D, and nobody's like, I hate all Klingons. The opposite. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Klingons. They are probably fan favorites. No, I'm with you. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this. I am very much looking forward to them expanding the mythos of this of this species, this alien, because we know very little about them, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they really only show up twice because Gene Roddenberry had an idea to use the footage from the pilot that was canceled uh, or wasn't picked up, you know, and. That's it. That's all we have is pieces of an episode or the original pilot. This is a cool opportunity to show more of that civilization, show more of their abilities. And now without makeup from 1964 and 65. Yeah. I mean, it's come on. Let's, let's just have some fun with it. It's, it's, it's okay to enjoy a television show, right? Yeah. And I, I think the new design looks really cool. I mean, there's no question who they're supposed to be, you know, no, and again, exactly. Like, what do you want them to look like? Do you really want them to look like they did in the mid 1960s? Cause remember that the cage was not in 66 cage <laughs> no, was, was, was made in 64. So like, this is, this is even older. This is, you know, a shoestring budget to make a couple of aliens look alien. You know, the, the clothing that has to look more advanced now, it has to look higher production value is everything. It, I mean, know? I, I legit understood people's complaint about the Klingon, the look of the Klingons. I understand when people complained about the look of the Klingons in Into Darkness. Those complaints I legitimately understood. But the Telosians, they still look exactly like Telosians, just for 2019 technology versus, like you said, 1964, 1966. They just, they look modernized. Now, if they would have, like, made them eight-foot-tall gargants that are, like, blue with, like, six arms, I might be like, this is kind of weird, guys. This is, this <laughs> well, is a little unusual. It. People are watching Discovery on their 4K 80-inch TVs. You can't yeah. have 1964 makeup quality. No, on or new, on, on a new show, on, <laughs> not on a new show. No, or on their iPad from 12 inches away with, you know, 1080p still digital. I mean, you can't. Yeah, I mean, use the use the technology, people. I don't. I have no complaints about the Telosians right now. It's it, it actually makes it's probably one of the smartest decisions they made. How are we going to fix somebody whose brain is messed up? Spock mm-hmm. remembers encountering the Telosians and his, I, I get it. It makes perfect sense. So there's only one other thing left, I think, that happens in this episode and it has to do with Arium. Yes. Uh, she, she forgot to run her virus scanner. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, it kind of reminded me, for, for those out there who are Futurama fans, it kind of reminded me from Bender's big score where Bender gets the obedience virus. <laughs> <laughs> um, from yep. the aliens uh so i mean obviously we don't really know what the impact of this is going to be yet but we have to assume it's not good news yeah i mean that probe hacked the ship and hacked her in seconds to the point where she obviously doesn't even realize it and nobody else realizes it and it could be i mean it could be something completely benign i i don't think so i think it's obviously for nefarious reasons and 
you know, maybe she's going to freak out like, you know, like Data did when he got the signal from Soong and he locked everybody off the off the bridge. And maybe it's going to be something like that where she puts, a, you know, an 850-digit password on the crew on the ship or something. And <laughs> and maybe we'll finally get to realize more about her because I know, like you said, people are asking questions about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very curious, you know. Uh, I assume that that this is going to come back. Uh, maybe it is the red angel. Maybe this is how the red angel will communicate with everyone. And the probe was appearing to be more violent than it was supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, granted it did punch a hole in the shuttle, <laughs> which tells, <laughs> okay, look, red angel, if you're actually watching and you're real, um, punching holes in chips is not the most peaceful approach. You know, maybe, maybe send me a pizza. <laughs> Dial and, it back a little bit. Yeah, dial it back a little bit and say, hey, you know, it's like, let's do a meetup group or something. Not, you know, I'm going to punch a hole in the shuttle while you're going through a temporal rift. All right. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty funny. Um, but but yeah, so. That's pretty much it. It is. You know, there's little pieces of, of information we got. Um, we learned that Pike was a test pilot before he was a captain, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, See, maybe we can uh, have another temporal vortex, and he and Tom Paris can go, go uh, race each other. Um, there we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot in this. Obviously, we're gonna go to Talos Four. They're gonna fix Spock in some capacity. Giorgio is trying to take over the Section Thirty One ship, um, and Arium is probably going to do something to the Discovery. Take maybe take it somewhere, you know. That's kind of yeah, where we're left it's, off. It's a good cliffhanger. I mean, good mid-season episode. I think things are really, you know, that was my complaint a couple of weeks ago. I didn't feel like they were advancing the plot. I think this one advanced the plot a lot, especially with Talos, Finding Spock, Arium, uh, Pike, and Ty, and Ty Volk developing their little banter of, you know, it's, it's you know what, a perfect, perfect example. I'm going to compare it to Star Wars, but hear me out. Remember when Luke Skywalker and Han Solo meet? They don't like each other. Right. I mean, Luke thinks he's arrogant, doesn't trust him. Uh, Han thinks Luke is just a wide-eyed farm boy who doesn't understand how the universe works. And their friendship builds over the over the show, over the movies. They rescue each other. They help each other out. That's how normal friends work. Sometimes it starts off with a bit of a rivalry. Maybe Ty Vogel and Pike will end up becoming great friends or something. It's That's... Like you've heard me, I pre I've said it like forty five times on this this episode alone. That's how people act. They don't always act like perfect machines. They they have challenges, they have disputes, and I just had a fight with a friend last week, and I apologized. She apologized. We moved on. It <laughs> that happens. People have disagreements. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. No question. Um, but yeah, is, is there anything else for light and shadows? No, I actually, um, I, I want, I'm curious about the Twitter results because I actually... Oh, right. This was actually my favorite episode of the season so far. Really? Even though, yeah, even though I think it was raining on Vulcan. It was. I, it was definitely I'm that, I'm, raining. I'm that guy. I'm like, does it rain on Vulcan? I thought Vulcan was like a a dry, horrible desert. But, you know, that's just me. Um, somebody's going to tweet at me, Greg, it rained in episode 19. I'm like, all right, all right, you're right. I'm wrong. Uh, so yeah, we do have the Twitter results. So, um, 60%, six, zero, 60% gave it an A, 26% gave it a B, 
with 9% giving it a C and just 4% giving it a D or lower. So 86% giving it a B or higher, uh, which definitely kind of keeps it in the running. I mean, to be fair, most of our our followers anyway seem to be very happy with this season of Discovery. Um, definitely rating it higher than the IMDb ratings, which have most of the episodes under an 80%. I like how we're using IMDb anymore since everything's going to hell with Rotten Tomatoes. So, I never trusted Rotten Tomatoes, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> I like uh, it. No, this this episode actually gets like a nine out of ten for me. Yeah. Okay. I um, like I like interactions with characters that feel real. That's my that's one of my big things on any television show. It's it's the duet from DS9 with Eamon Maritza and Kira. I love it. Oh, I love it when characters are interacting. It doesn't always have to be gigantic blue space beams. That episode, I watched it recently because I'm doing a DS9 rewatch. And man, what performances in that episode um, of Duet is just un- unbelievably fantastic. Yeah, probably one of the top five Star Trek scenes I've ever seen. is The, the three-minute Duet episode from DS9. If anybody on is listening has never seen it, just... If you don't mind spoilers and you don't mind watching out of out of out of order, just you can go to Google or Google, go to YouTube and just search DS9 duet, and the clip will come up. But otherwise, watch the whole episode because it's some of the best acting and best story in all of Star Trek history. Yeah, it, it really sol- helps solidify Kira as a character throughout that episode because there's just there's so much internal conflict for her. Um, yeah, it's awesome. But uh, but yeah, so for this episode, I, I would give it probably an A minus. Um, simply because uh, there's a couple of those weird things that we talked about earlier, but really good. And I, this is probably the most excited I've been for the next episode based on the preview that we were shown. Cause I just, I want to go to Talos for, I want to see this. I want, I want to see what they're going to do. I cannot wait for this next episode. And I also want to see everybody's reaction. If Pike figures it out, what do you mean they're going to Talos for? And Pike is just like, that place is horrible. That was hell. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that now, would be great that would be fantastic but now uh, we'll this see. does uh, mark the mid mid point of season two we're seven episodes in seven to go uh, next week's episode is called if memory serves and that is what we will be reviewing on next week's podcast episode sounds good but no it's uh for those of you out there, if you don't know by now, this is Red Shirts and Runabouts. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on uh, Google Play, on on iTunes Podcast, on Overcast. Uh, I we always are recommend... now we are now on Spotify. That's and right, Spreaker. Spotify. So Spotify and Spreaker. And I always recommend to everybody, even my friends at work, uh, you can actually Google Red Shirts and Runabouts Heroes Podcast Network, and it'll bring up most of our links. I think it brings them all up now. And so we're actually getting a decent enough of people following and listening to us that Google search is actually helping find us. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can find the show. Derek, if people want to find you and interact with you, how can they? Well, I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook, but primarily Twitter. And uh, real quick, if you want to see both of us in person, you can do that. Uh, at Planet Comic Con, the last weekend in March, that Saturday, we are doing a live panel of Red Shirts and Runabouts at <clears throat> noon. So from 12 to 12.50, we will be doing the Ultimate Star Trek crew, where we will be building the Ultimate crew with the audience. Greg and I will both be there, so you should be there too. 
if you are within a reasonable distance of Kansas City. No, hell, if you're in an unreasonable distance, come to Planet Comic Con. I mean, aside <laughs> from all of the normal fun convention stuff, there's we you know last year we had a whole bunch of Star Trek people. This year we got a whole bunch of the Harry Potter actors and actresses. Uh, Planet Comic Con, you can't miss us. But uh, you can also find me and yell at me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. I've had a few interesting interactions with people online. I, I always enjoy it. I always like when people give good feedback and reliable feedback because that's how we grow. Our content gets better when people give us feedback and have suggestions for improvements. And, you know, we like interacting with the fans because, you know, I know I go on tangents sometimes. I'm sorry, Derek. <laughs> I'm good with it. No complaints here. I think somebody told me to stop comparing everything to Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. Cause you, got, you <laughs> compare to what you know, right? <laughs> we know... We know Star Wars and Futurama. You know Game of Thrones. I know it kind of. Um, you know, you, you know what you. Do. I, I bring up DC Comics. Yeah, you, you bring know. up DC Comics. I mean, I love Futurama comparisons, and you know, and it's I'm a, I'm all about sci-fi nerd fantasy culture. We need more of it on TV. I can only stand so many reality shows when, like, ah, oh, watch The Bachelor as the this guy promises to give the virginity up. I'm like, no, he's not. I'm like, stop. How are people buying this? He's like 38. This is not, you know, this is not Steve Carell. But anyways, tangent, tangent, tangent. <laughs> but that's how you can find us online. Google Red Shirts and Runabouts, our Google Heroes podcast network. There's a whole bunch of other shows. Uh, Derek here hosts several of them, including Screen Heroes. So again, find us on Twitter, find us online, find us on Facebook. Come see us at Planet Comic Con. Otherwise, Derek, that's all I've got. All right. Well, we'll talk next time, I guess. <laughs> I'll see you all then. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes podcast network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at RedShirtsPod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash Heroes Podcasts, and we also have a coffee ko-fi.com slash heroes podcast. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper.